You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, that was your cue. Well, it's good, uh, it's good, uh, you hear the fellowship, I love it. Um, love that um, it's apparent that this church loves one another and the way that you guys interact with one another. And uh, um, as we are going to look at the text today, um, what we do and say as believers is, is so important. Um, it not only is important for our own spiritual walk, but it's important in uh, what we're saying about our God. And uh, so I'm looking forward to getting in the text. I, I want to just again give a welcome to those who are joining us online today, um, run, understanding in the midst of this COVID thing, there's, there's folks who uh, are part of this church family, but uh, because of uh, different circumstances they're in, they can't be here on a Sunday morning. So um, we, we miss you guys. I, I want you to know that. I, I thought about maybe trying to do the names, you know, almost like, what was that, with Mr. Rogers, I see, you know, whatever. But I, and inevitably, I would forget someone's name, and so anyway, I just want you guys to know that we do miss you, and uh, and know maybe there's a few more folks uh, that are joining us online today because of the the weather. I, um, thankfully, the roads were a whole lot better than I expected, so so it's good. Well, we are in week five um, in understanding that we need the gospel. As we been going, as we're been going through the book of Romans, we uh, we see right in, in Romans one sixteen, he's saying, listen. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And since that time, verses 18 through 32, he's like, we need the gospel, one, because of your hardened rebellion. Uh, all the Gentiles, listen, you, you can see God, but you are suppressing the truth, and, and, and you are, instead of worshiping him, you're worshiping the creation, and you're walking in rebellion against him. To which the Jews may have said, amen, let's preach it, Right? But in this chapter 2, he's been showing, listen, just because you have religion of some kind doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you might be a moral person doesn't mean that you're okay with God. And so the last couple of weeks we've been looking at that, and we're going to have a third week on that. The, the, the idea that, that religion can save, but not all religion can save. Uh, James says that we are to be not just hearers of the word, but we're to be doers of the word. He then goes on to say in, in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and defiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, there is a religion that will bring life, and there is a religion that will bring death. There is, uh, ultimately, it's not about religion, as we're going to look at the text this morning. It's about our heart. Where is your heart at? You can have the right doctrine. You can understand the right things about God and still be going to hell. And that's what we're going to be learning. Instead of, instead of um, going through the motions, God wants us to, to be a people who are fully dedicated to Him, to be a people who are placing our faith in Him. And so this morning, I want you to, to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you show me where my heart is truly at? 
Am I just going through the motions as I've been thinking about this message this morning? Even those of us with a transformed heart can slip back into the patterns of the flesh. You start thinking like, I got this, God. You know, I, I'm just, I know the pattern. I know the game. I know that what everybody expects of me. I'm just going to go with that and, and miss out on the true heart transformation that God wants to do through his spirit on a daily basis in your life. And so I want us to think, am I simply a person who calls himself a Christian or am I a person who is actually following Christ? And so let us ask now, let's ask the Lord, would you show us where our hearts are at? Let me pray for us. God, I, I, as I've been preparing this week, as I've been studying this text, I've been convicted of how easy it is to simply put on an outward exterior. And God, I am praying that each and every one here this morning, those who would be watching online, that, that every person would be able to say, Lord, you are changing me from the inside out. I, I'm not just throwing up some facade, but Lord, you are the one who is building me, changing me into your image. Lord, we, won't, we don't want to be a people who are hypocrites. We don't want to be a people who say one thing and do something differently. Lord, we want to be a people who bring honor to your name, not dishonor. A people who are attracted to you as a result of the way that we live instead of blaspheming your name. And so we're asking God, by your spirit, would you lead us and guide us this morning? Would you take your word and press it into our hearts? Would you show us what we need to do, Lord, to be more like you? For Lord, we want to bring honor and glory to your great name. Lead us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so everyone needs a Bible. We're going to be looking at Romans 2, verses 17 through 29. And we're going to see Paul contrasting false religion with true religion. He begins with false religion. And we see with false religion, it's defined by a hypocritical heart. False religion is defined by a hypocritical heart. As we look at these four, uh, as these, sorry, these, uh, these verses from 17 to 24, we're going to see four characteristics of religion that will not save. Now, it's important that we remember the author when we read these things. I mean, Paul was a guy who was the Jew's Jew, right? Like he was the creme de la creme. If there was a way to get saved through works, it would have been Paul. He said of himself in Philippians 3, 4 to 6, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If there was a way to earn your way into heaven, I'm the guy. But there is no way to earn your way into heaven. There must be faith in the Lord God. And so he is exposing this in, in, in the people that he's writing to, the, the Jews that he's writing to. He wants them first to realize that, that when you are walking simply in a false religion, you will see empty boasts. It's the first characteristic of, of someone who's in a false religion, empty boasts. 
verse 17 of Romans chapter 2. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law. So he's, as he's breaking this down, he's like, look, you have a lot of reasons to boast. But the reality is they are empty boasts. First, he points out that they were called themselves a Jew. This began first by the Gentiles. They called them Jews. They later adopted that name. But really, what he's saying is they are saying, listen, we are the chosen people of God. Remember Abraham? That's our great, 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 great you know, grandfather. Right? That's, that's where we came from. God looked out over all the earth. He looked at Abraham, chose him, and said, I'm going to build a people from you. We are those people. Everyone else, you're kind of down here. We are the chosen people. We are uh, the people of God. Remember what they failed to recognize that simply being born a Jew did not make you a person of God. No more than being born with the last name Gretzky would make you a great hockey player. Right? Just because you were born into something, born with a certain name, doesn't mean that you're going to follow in that person's footsteps. There had to be more than simply being born a Jew. But they took great pride in that. Secondly, they took great pride in relying on the law. Again, we touched on this last weekend. It wasn't so much that they were practicing the law. They may have been doing portions of the law. But it was more like, we got the book. You don't have it. We remember back at Mount Sinai. That's where we received the word. That's where we we were the chosen people of God. You guys didn't get that. We got the special rules as to how to worship God. You don't have it. Instead of being something that would transform their lives, it became a source of bragging, right? We have the knowledge and you don't. Just like a word as we're going through this. Like anybody tempted to like look at the people of Israel and like... <laughs> Yeah, those Israelites, right? Like, what a messed up group, right? Not like me. Well, let's make sure that we're not like them, right? How many of us have a whole lot of knowledge of the words? We got the book. We've been revealed. We, we, like, we have the knowledge, right? God has revealed himself to us through the Bible. And we in this church, for sure, take great pride in that, like, we have the word of God. We, we believe in its authority over us, but we can be like quick to look down at everyone else simply because of our knowledge. So let's be careful not to be like these guys. They relied on the law, but not truly. They were not living by the law. Thirdly, they boasted in God. Is that a bad thing, to boast in God? Not a bad thing if you're doing it for the right reasons, right? Boasting in God for the right reasons. But their, their boasting in God is like, we know that there was one God, one true God, and that all your idols of wood and stone are not gods at all. But again, it didn't result in heart transformation. It was just like patting the resume, right? Look how great we are. We were chosen by God. He gave us the law. We know who he is. His name is Yahweh. We're so holy, we won't, even, we won't even pronounce that in public. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to call him Adonai. Like, we know everything about him. 
He's revealed it to us in his book. He, we know his character. And as, as he continues on with that, we know his will. We, we know what is right and what is wrong as he talks about approving what is excellent. Like they, they have the book, right? And, and, and the problem with this is, is that it didn't impact their life. It didn't change their hearts. As you go through the Old Testament again and again and again, God's like, hey, listen, it's not just about having the law, it's about doing the law. It's about having a changed heart. It's about coming to me in faith. It's about living for my glory and my honor, not for your glory and your honor. Getting into heaven is not a Bible quiz off. You can have a whole lot of knowledge about God, but that, that may be for naught. You know, even as I was praying for these children, I, I think about our kids. They grow up. I, I think about my kids, where they're at at 16 and 18. <clears throat> they have far more knowledge about God than I did at that age. But simply knowledge doesn't save. You, you, can, you can memorize the Bible, but that doesn't save you. And they had failed to recognize that in their life. Instead, they just used it as like a we're better than everyone else kind of platform. And Paul is pointing out the hypocrisy in it all. You want to understand that knowledge is not enough. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Any demons going to heaven? Knowledge is not enough. So again, let us examine our own hearts. Maybe we've grown up in the church, and the result is that we know a whole lot about God's Word. However, simply knowing these things does not make us right with God. Just growing up in a Christian home doesn't make you right with God. Maybe that's your, 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 your badge of honor. Instead of saying, hey, I'm a Jew, you say, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, because mom and dad were Christians. <laughs> it's starting to go away, but like, for like last 50 years, like you go to do the little survey things, right? What are you? I don't know. What, what are we? Oh, yeah, we're Christians. Yeah, like mom and dad were Christians. Our grandma and grandpa were Christians. Or we're Catholic. I think we're Catholic. Isn't that because, like nobody even really knows because they had to fill out the little format, that little survey. But, but that doesn't make you a Christian just because mom and dad were a Christian. You have to place your faith in the Lord God. Knowing right and wrong doesn't save you. It gives you an incredible advantage over many people in the, in, the, in the world, but it leaves you with empty boasts when that's all you have. So, if all you have is knowledge, you have empty boasts. Secondly, another characteristic of a religion that will not save is that, that of blind guides. Blind guides. Verse 19 and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Okay, again, he's listing out, again, a lot of things that could have been true of them, should have been true of them. They should have been a guide to the blind. They should have been teachers. They should have been light in the darkness. But they had failed in that responsibility. We see that was God's desire for them in, in passages like Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. 
encourage you to just write these things down and look them up for yourself later. But Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 says this, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now, the Jews didn't so much believe that they should go out to the Gentiles. They just believed that God would bring the Gentiles to them. That as they observed them, that they would come and worship their God. But when they did find them, when they did talk with the Gentiles, they didn't necessarily lead them to the Lord. In fact, over and over again, we see this indictment by, by Jesus that the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees were not actually helping the Gentiles. He says in Matthew 23, 13 to 15, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who, enter, who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's what false religion does. It doesn't save. It only, makes, it only heaps the condemnation on people. They had the book. They knew the law. And what they would do, instead of helping someone, they would just show them, like, this is how we become self-righteous. Just do all these outward actions, and you're good to go. No talk about heart change. No, no talk about true worship. Just going through the motions. Looking good in front of other people and focusing on the external. Theirs was the false religion. It had nothing to do with faith and everything to do with putting on a face in front of others. In fact, the whole Matthew 23, the whole entire chapter, he's like, hey, hypocrites. That's what he calls them. <laughs> you know, Jesus was really beating around the bush with the Pharisees, Right? Right? He's just like, everyone, hey, listen. And here's, here's why I think he, he gets so right in the face is because whose name is being tainted? We're going to see that in just a moment. Whose name is being tainted? God's name is being tainted by the Pharisees supposedly representing him. And he's like, they don't represent God. Listen, they're, they're hypocrites. They say one thing and do something else. That leads us to our next point. They're double-minded in their lives. Double-minded lives. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Like you see this double-mindedness. We have the law. We are God's people. We are the chosen ones. And then they would teach and then do complete opposite in their lives. You teach others, but you don't teach yourself. It was a do as I say, not as I do kind of mentality. Just having this child dedication this morning, a little convicting, is it not? Not, not with our children. It should be do as I do, also do as I say and do as I do. And when I don't do what I say to do, what should I do as a parent? Reason it away? 
or repent and say, hey, kids, mom messed up, dad messed up. I, I, uh, I know I tell you that you should not do this, and yet I just did that. And, and we follow not family rules, we follow God's rules. And I sinned against God, and I also sinned against you when I did that. Will you please forgive me? That's modeling the gospel to them. Sadly, with 10 years of youth ministry before becoming a senior pastor, I've seen it happen over and over again. Hypocritical parents led to kids leaving home and never coming back to church again. And guess what? Mom and dad also left the church at that point as well. Just going through the motions, hoping that maybe this might be good for the kids, but never truly being engaged in it. A few rules that we maybe we might want to follow, but not truly being engaged. Hypocrisy is in our DNA. I mean, you look at the Old Testament. What, what does God say to Israel over and over again? Listen, I want your hearts. I don't want these outward actions. The text that Don read earlier this morning in Isaiah 58, they're like all like, man, what is the deal? God, we're fasting. You're not answering our prayers. Why are you so against us? He's like, really? You want me to tell you why I'm against you? Because you're fast fasting, and meanwhile, you're seeking your own pleasure, and you're beating your workers. Does that sound like the kind of fast that I'm interested in? Then he says, like, listen, this is the kind of fast I'm, listening, I'm interested in. When you actually take care and love others and walk in my ways, then you fast. I will listen. But until that time, I don't hear you. Outward actions... Outward ceremonies, God does not care. You can even come to church on a snowy morning. And God's like, if that's all you're doing and your heart is not engaged with him, he's like, whatever, right? He's not, he's not impressed by your outward action. He knows where your heart's really at. He knows that you're just doing it so that others may well think well of you. That's hypocritical living. What's interesting about being double-minded, about being hypocritical, is you never see it in yourself, right? You, you can quickly see it in others, but in yourself, it's like you've got blinders on. The story is told about a, a farmer and, and a baker. And the baker, he was, um, he, was, he was living in a village not far from Quebec, and he, he bought his butter from a neighboring farmer. And one day he became suspicious that the butter was not the same weight and therefore decided to satisfy himself about it. So for several days he had weighed the butter. Each day the weight goes down, down, down. So finally he's like, okay, I'm taking this guy to court. So he takes him to court and, and the farmer responded to the, to the judge. The judge was like, hey, so what, are you using scales for this? He's like, no, I'm, I'm actually not. He said, I, I decided that I would use the bread that I was buying from the baker as the measurement because it was the same weight. Do you see the story here? The, the bread that he was buying was the measurement for the butter. And that kept going down day after day. So guess what? The baker was ripping off the farmer. He didn't see it in himself, but he quickly seen it in, in, in the farmer. Do you, do you see what, 
how, how easy we are to do those kinds of things. So like, I see your sin, but to see my own sin, like I just don't see it. But that's what happens when you live a hypocritical life. And so look at this list of things. Those who are double-minded, they teach one thing, but they do something different. They teach and preach not to steal, and then they turn around and cheat on their taxes. Or they work half days and expect full pay. They teach against adultery, and then they go and commit adultery. So I was studying this, I was like, like, so like for real adultery? Or like when Jesus said, when you look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in her heart. As I went through the commentaries, it said, no, like actually it was, they were committing adultery. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Zakkai, who was around the same time of Paul, he had written about the increase of murder, adultery, sexual vice, commercial, and judicial corruption and bitter sectarian strife and other evils that were happening amongst the Jewish people at that time. And so there was this increase of adultery amongst the Jewish people at that time. So don't commit adultery, but then they went and committed adultery. Nobody gets married thinking that's going to happen. But sadly, in my life, I've seen people not only do that, but they give reasons why God is okay with it. That's the crazy part. It could be one thing, it's like, I, I've totally messed up and I, I've sinned, but they're like, you know what, it's okay because, you know, did you know all the wrong things that have happened to me? Double-minded. Six months earlier, they would have condemned somebody. Six months later, they're like, it's okay. And then the last thing, you abhor idols. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Anyone here rob, robbing temples? You guys do that? Okay, this is one of those little ones like, okay, like, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> what do you mean robbing temples? So this literally would happen. The Jewish people are like, false gods. We abhor idols. But I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sneak into the temple down the road, grab some valuable stuff, and go and sell it. I think God is actually probably okay with it. Because, you know, it's false idols and all that. So I'm good. I'm going to go steal from these, these temples. This is what actually was happening. It was known at the time. And again, this double-mindedness, this hypocritical living that they had going on. Well, so really bad for their own spiritual lives. But the last thing, the last characteristic of blind religion is that, sorry, a false religion is that you become stumbling blocks. You become stumbling blocks. Verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So you boast about the law, and then you break the law. What's the result of that? You bring dishonor to God. And, and those Gentiles that you were supposed to be light to, those people who were in the darkness, those people who, who didn't know who I was, they blaspheme my name because of the way that you live. When you claim to be a follower of Christ, 
people are going to learn something about your God by your testimony. You say you're a follower of Christ, and then you live no differently than them. What are they going to think about Christ? What are they going to think about your God? How many people do you know right now who refuse to talk about God anymore based on what they've experienced by people who are supposedly followers of God? Like tragic hurt, disillusionment. I, I thought I could trust them. They said they were believers. But I was hurt. I, 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 and they have legitimate concerns by what happened. And so now they're like, I don't want anything to do with religion. I don't want anything to do with Christ. DC Talk, I remember back in the day. Any DC Talk fans here, right? Okay, there we go. All right, so, so I remember this, this album. They had these little quotes, and, the, the, and I think I've used this before, but they said the single, greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. What are people learning about God based on your life? Are you a stumbling block to people coming to faith in Christ because of the hypocrisy that they see in your life? Summing up this whole section here, the 17 to 24, Schaefer says this, when the man with the Bible treats it as an external thing only, it causes the man without the Bible to dishonor the God of the Bible. Surely then, the man with the Bible is justifiably under God's wrath. Just to say one thing and do something other is causing many, many people to say, I don't want anything to do with their God. And I think that's one of the reasons where we're at in our society today. A whole lot of churchgoers but not a whole lot of real, true life change. And the world has rejected that, rightly so. And, and they are, have become hardened against Christianity. And now they've got their guns at us, right? And what's going to happen as a result of this? I think God is going to refine us. Those who are truly in him are going to grow greatly, and those who are not, they're going to say, yeah, I didn't, actually, I didn't really believe it. It was just kind of... I thought it was a good thing to add to my life, but now I, I see the truth. Like, yeah, that whole church thing is a bad thing. There's going to be a, a refining happening. But as that refining happens, I'm praying that as people look at your life, as they look at my life, they see Christ. I have a neighbor right now that, that I just have such a heart for. And I was talking to him, and he, he told me that, I, he grew up in the States, so I was like, oh, you must have went to church. And he's like, yeah, I did go to church. But, but, I mean, that was like 40, 50 years ago now. And he's not turned back. Why? Because of the hypocrisy he's seen in the church. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a witness to him. He knows I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm trying everything I can to show him, listen, I know that you had a bad experience about people who said they were followers of God. Whether they were truly followers of God or not, I have no idea. But I want you to know that Christ is who he says he is. And I'm trying to demonstrate that through being Christ-like. I'm even, listen, you may get an email from me, right? Because he's moving, sadly. 
And so this is my last, like, Hail Mary kind of thing. But I'm going to ask some of you guys to say, let's help this guy move. He doesn't have a lot of people in his life. But if we show up as, and I'm not going to say some guys. I'm going to say some guys from the church, just so he understands. They said they'd come help. That's what we need to be, as we think about our witness in this world, we're going to continually be reminded if we are ambassadors for his namesake, there are no off days. If you have an off day, you come back to work and you say, hey, I had an off day. Will you please forgive me? I didn't represent Christ well. They're going to look at you a little strange, but that's okay, right? You make sure that the name of God is honored instead of dishonored as it was here. We want true religion. This is what we'll see in these last verses. True religion is defined by a transformed heart. He's shown us already that the law doesn't help unless you actually live by it. Now he shows us that the outward symbol of circumcision is useless without an inward change. True religion is proved by internal, not external. By, by the internal, not the external. For circumcision, sorry, he says in verse 25, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. It, it all become about the outward symbol to them. You have a son, you circumcised him. Now he's part of the family of God. That's how it works. Just like it was for Abraham. But what they forget was that Abraham had been called by God and in faith, he had placed his trust in him, and then the circumcision came. It was an outward symbol of something that actually happened in his life, an inward change. Just as when you and I get baptized, it is to be an outward symbol of an inward change. Just dedicating your child or baptizing, getting, you know, a lot of baby dunkers out there, if you baptize your child or whatever, that, that doesn't mean that they are in Christ. That doesn't mean they're in God. You can get baptized as a teenager. You can get baptized as an adult. That act will not save you. It should be an outward, uh, an outward symbol of an inward change. And so when we have baptisms, what? We have a testimony. I once was, but God, right? We, we describe what God did in our lives, and now Right? Not, not anything that we did, but what he did. Outward symbols do not do anything. This is what he's trying to teach them. So, verse 26, So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? I think what he's talking about here are Gentile believers. So in other words, someone who doesn't have that outward symbol that you do, and yet they follow the law. Listen, I see them as circumcised. In other words, I see them as a child of God, as the chosen people. They are now my people. Verse 27, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. This had to make them really happy. I mean, think about it. We're the Jews. We have the law. We look down on everyone around us. And Paul just saying, hey, those Gentiles that you think are down here, if they're walking according to my word and they're following my precepts, they're going to stand and condemn you someday. I'm sure they're like, 
like, okay, like, this isn't okay, right? Anybody's going to get to, like, why is he telling this? Because it's about the gospel. You need the gospel. Just, just having these, these, these outward things isn't enough. Those who walk in obedience will be a witness against the Jews who had a wealth of blessings from God but did nothing with them. Then he says this in verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one who is inwardly, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. It's about the heart, it's about the heart, it's about the heart. And they should have got this. This wasn't a New Testament concept. Over and over again, the prophets proclaimed it. Even in the book of Deuteronomy, it says in Deuteronomy 10, 16, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. I, I need a change of heart in you. I, 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 I don't want this, these outward sacrifices. If the sacrifices were done in true worship, that's great. You're doing what you ought to do. But if you're just doing the sacrifices, God was like, you're wasting your time. You're just fasting without a, a heart that's engaged to him, then you're just wasting your time. Outward actions are useless if they're not connected to a changed heart. So communion, even taking communion, which the Bible forbids, warns not to do if you're not a child of God, but let's just say you do it because you think by doing it you're going to be saved. You will not be saved simply by taking the Lord's Supper. None of these outward symbols will save you. True religion is only produced by the Spirit, not the law. True religion is produced by the Spirit, not the law. This is what Paul is going to spend a whole lot of time on in the book of Romans. But as we think about this, we, we need to understand that only a transformed heart makes me right with God. It takes a supernatural work. This is why Jesus said that you must be born again when he's talking to Nicodemus. It's like, okay, what do I need to do to get into heaven? You must be born again. Uh, how does that work? Like, crawl back in the womb again? How does that work, right? Like, he's like, I'm confused. He said, it's a work of the Spirit. Jesus says to him, it's a work of the Spirit. So too it is for every single individual. We all need to be born again. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you are not born again, then you are not right with God. Your religion will condemn you. It is only when our hearts are changed, only as a result of our coming to Him in repentance and placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will be made new creations, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. We who were dead spiritually are made alive in him. Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
And as Paul spent a whole lot of time doing writing to the letter to the Galatians, listen, still today it's by the Spirit, not according to your flesh. It's by His power that you and I are able to walk in obedience to Him. You never have it, right? You are continually in need of relying on Him. You cannot fake God, right? You can't, you know, you might be able to trick a lot of other people, but you can't trick God by your outward actions. He knows your heart. And if you do not have a new heart and a new mind, if you do not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, then he knows that and you will be condemned. Last thing we see about true religion is that the praise is by God, not man. Praise by God and not man. That's a pretty amazing thought. Just like to stop and think about that. When you think about false religion, what really is the motivation with false religion? Pleasing man. Isn't it? Isn't it about pleasing man? What is done is done to look good in front of others, to put on a show in front of others. Look at me. Look how good of a person I am. Don't you think well of me? It's funny. I was, I was reading an article. It came out um, March of 2020. There's this thing called TikTok. I mean, I, I, I'm getting older, and I'm like, I have no idea. Like, what even really is all this stuff? Okay, but TikTok, Okay. Some of you are like, okay, I'm smiling. I, I think I know what you're talking about. So these like little videos that everyone's making. Well, they were talking about there's this trend. There's even a genre on TikTok of like Gucci and Lululemon. Even that, I'm like, Lulu what? You know, so anyways, but apparently that's really expensive clothing and people like it, okay? But, but like the TikTok generation, they're like, we don't have the money for that. So what they do is they find knockoffs, right, and, and duplicates. And they're like one of the most popular ones, like there's this ring that like, you know, some of the, the stars are using. It's like $1,650, but you can find it on Amazon for $20. Here it is, you know. And so then you've got the ring on. You're like, look at me. I'm just like whoever the famous person is. Like, like how great am I, right? Now, this has been going on for a while, Right? Like, you know, the, the Oakleys back in the day, you could get like $5 Oakleys and, and, and $10 Rolexes, and it wasn't even worth $10, right? It didn't even keep track of time. But look, I got a Rolex on, right? But we do that spiritually. Look at me. Look how great I'm doing. I don't want to have the cost like of an actual inward change where I'd have to submit to God and humble myself before him. But I do want people to think well of me. So I'm just going to put on the garb. The real thing costs you to, to have to repent of my sin, which I really, really like. So I don't want to really do that. So I'm going to hold on to my sin. And I'm going to just put on a facade. And listen, as believers, we can be so tempted to still do that. This is our default position, is to live a hypocritical life. But Jesus exposed it over and over again while he walked this earth. He said in Matthew 6, 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Right? What's the focus? Praise of men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? Oh, Bill, he's such a great prayer. 
You know, he just prays and prays and prays. What a godly man. That's your reward. No, no praise from God, which what really matters. But when God changes our hearts, he frees us from our slavery of being people pleasers. If we're really being honest with ourselves, you have to continually keep that in check. Even at the pastor's conference, there was a man who was, just went through some difficult times, and he was talking about like he was finally able to preach again without worrying about what people thought. And I was like, my, you know, hypocrite, blinders, you know, I was like, well, I don't, I don't ever really struggle with that. You know, I don't, you know, that's too bad for him. And then God was like one of those like Holy Spirit times, like, really? Like, yeah, last Sunday you had like, you know, a fair amount of people like, that really encouraged me, strengthened me. But then there was that one person who's like, I didn't like that. What did you obsess over for like how many days? The person who didn't like it, right? Like, that bothered me. You know, like, I did, is that part of that? You, you want to be a people pleaser? So we all have to be on guard against that. Well, we have to keep our eyes on the Savior and say, I want to please you, God. I want you to be honored in my life. I want you to be glorified. I want to, I want to be like Paul, who says in Galatians 1.10, For now am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. <laughs> I love that. He's like, really? This is not the route I would take if I was trying to please man. I would not be a servant of Christ. But I'm trying to please God. And here's the incredible thing as you look at this text. You can have the approval of God. When you have a transformed heart, when you are right with him, when you're walking in obedience to him, he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. You can have the approval of God, and that should be our focus continually. True religion sees people changed from the inside out by the powerful hand of God, and it results in approval from God and not man. And that's all that's going to matter in about five seconds from now. So which religion best represents you this morning? A false religion defined by a hypocritical heart or a true religion defined by a transformed heart? Paul's point in writing these things is like, look, outward things do not save. If you're just going through the motions and you do not have a heart that's right with God, it will not save you. When you look at the Old Testament, you look at Abraham and Moses and David, the guys that were like, I want to be like them. It was their faith in God. It was not just simply some outward actions that made them men of God. In the last 40, 40 years of being a believer, it's been my experience that even with a transformed heart, that I can get lazy. I, I, can, I can stop praying. I, I can stop reading the Word. I can stop relying on the Spirit and just start going through the motions. After a while, you, can, you get it. You kind of know the game. This is what people expect at church, right? So I'm going to put on the spiritual masks. And when they ask me how I'm doing, I'm just going to say I'm doing great. I'm blessed. You know, whatever. You can use your, whatever your thing. But truly, I'm not that way. But I know what to say. I know what to do. And, and so I just kind of do this facade. Can I just plead with you this morning? Let's 
not do that. One of the reasons we do that is what? Because we're people pleasers instead of God pleasers. I, if they really knew what I'm struggling with right now, if they really knew where my heart was at, they may not like me anymore. If anyone here would not like you because you shared their struggle, they probably are not where they ought to be with God. Can we be honest here? If we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all messed up, we're still in sin, we still have our struggles, let's admit that to one another and then walk with one another, spur one another on as we all seek to be God-pleasers. And so this morning, I want you just to think about where's my heart at? Am I relying on the Spirit each and every day? Am I focused on Christ and being a, 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 a God-pleaser versus a man-pleaser? Is there, is there a change that's happening from the inside out in my life as the Spirit sanctifies me? If there's not, then maybe this morning it's time to repent. You're a child of God, but you know you're not going in the direction you ought to be. Then use this opportunity for the Spirit of God as He speaks into your heart to repent and get things right with Him and then walk with a transformed heart. And maybe this morning you're like, I have no idea before I came here and here that... that there was a difference between religion that could save and a religion that couldn't save. And I, I need Christ. I know that I'm a person who is a sinner who is, is in need of a Savior. If that's your case this morning, I pray that God would grant you repentance as well. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you are merciful and that you are gracious. That through your word this morning, even Lord, that you are warning us that it's not just about outward actions, Lord. It's about an inward heart change that, Lord, is a result of your work. For us as believers this morning, maybe that's a reminder that we needed. It's not about me putting on a show. It's not about putting on an outward exterior. It's about true heart change that, that is that is the fruit of the Spirit being seen in my life. Joy, peace, patience, as a result of the Spirit's work in my life, not me putting on a facade. God, we pray this morning that everyone here is trusting in the religion that does save, is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. And that they're not just simply going through the motions. Maybe there's some here this morning, Lord, who have grown up in the church, but they know they've never truly given their heart to you. They know the talk, they know the walk, but they've never repented of their sin and placed their trust in you. God, this morning, would you bring them to salvation? And Lord, maybe this is a person who's never heard the gospel before today. They thought that just by being a good person, you could get into heaven. Lord, would you show them that you are the way truth in the life and that no one comes to the Father except through you. And may they receive the hope that is only through Jesus Christ. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.